This is Voices of COVID-19. I'm Brian Lucas. Thanks for joining us. With the nation and the world struggling to contain the coronavirus pandemic, reporters are finding themselves often on the front lines, working to educate people and ask difficult questions to help us all understand what we're facing. We talk a lot about essential workers during a pandemic, and journalists probably don't get the recognition they deserve. Reporters covering this pandemic do so at some personal risk. Social distancing is difficult, and often reporters are asked to go to the very places that they're warning others to avoid. But getting accurate information out to the public during this time isn't optional. It can actually save lives. And aside from the important work that they do every day, reporters have to balance their work demands with the same stresses and concerns that the rest of us have. So to give us some perspective on this, I'm pleased to introduce Lori Perez, who's been a reporter for the CBS station in Los Angeles for the past six years and has been in television news for more than 25 years now. For the record, Lori and I also went to graduate school together at Northwestern, so we are old friends. Lori, thank you very much for agreeing to speak with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to have an outlet to kind of talk about what's going on. First of all, can you just give me a little bit of a taste of what it's like in Los Angeles right now? What is the general mood when it comes to people's understanding and dealing with this pandemic? I mean, as far as I can see, I mean, even in my personal life, as well as when I'm out for work, people do seem to be taking it seriously. When I go to the grocery store, people are suited up. People are wearing masks. People are wearing gloves. I see people um, sanitizing the grocery carts and the baskets and, and the grocery stores are being careful about how many people they let in at a time. And I see people doing physical distancing. You know, and the same thing when I'm out and about for work, I think people are very conscious of how close they are to each other and trying to respect each other's boundaries. You know, we've had to make a lot of adjustments at work in terms of how we do it, um, in terms of how we ha- approach people for interviews, whether we even do that anymore or whether we do everything via Skype and FaceTime and Zoom. So I do get the sense that people are pretty aware of what's going on and and willing to make some personal sacrifices in order to help flatten the curve. That being said, I also notice, and maybe this is just, you know, my age showing, but I worry at the number of young people that I do see walking about in groups, biking in groups, who seem to still be gathering together in their time off and in this unexpected time off that we have. And it worries me, frankly, when I see them. Right before the Minnesota went into lockdown, I made a trip to Costco. And I remember going in there and I could feel desperation in the air. I, there was a different mood among the shoppers that day. Have you experienced that in Los Angeles? Yeah. Was there a moment when you all of a sudden notice, hey, things are different today than they were yesterday. That's a really good point. I do think I've noticed that. I think that here in Los Angeles, what I've noticed is that people seem to be more focused and serious, even when they're doing something as mundane as standing in the line to get into the grocery store or standing in the line to get into uh, the farmer's market. I covered a story at the farmer's market the, the other weekend. And especially in LA, farmers markets on the weekends are big social gatherings. Everyone goes there with their kids and their pets and their friends. And it's a really lively, fun thing to do every weekend. And this past weekend when I was there, I mean, there was none of that air of levity. It was completely, I'm in line. I need to get produce. I need to get eggs. It was just so evident. 
especially in Los Angeles, where, you know, people love being outdoors and they love uh, supporting local businesses. I think you could just really sense that there was a shift in the tone of, okay, the, the farmer's market, while it's a fun social place to be, now it's going to be another one of our lifelines where we get the things that we are going to need in order to uh, survive this outbreak. You talked about going out as a reporter and maybe changing the way that you approach gathering news and telling stories. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How does how do you social distance when your job is to be out in the community? I mean, it's a really difficult thing to do. And we're having debates at work about how much of that we should even be doing. There's one school of thought where some reporters are saying, I don't feel comfortable doing man on the street interviews where we just approach people and say, what do you think about this? How are you feeling about this? They have equipped us with uh, kind of makeshift boom mics. So they're about five, six feet long poles where we attach the microphone to the end of it. And that way we can create the physical distance between ourselves and anyone that we approach for an interview. But some people don't even feel comfortable doing that. So we have turned a lot when we can to using online services like Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, so that we don't actually have to come into contact with anybody. But, you know, on a story like this, where understanding how the average person is feeling or how it's affecting them, what are their fears, what are their concerns, what are their questions? I mean, it's so vital that we have their input. So that's very difficult to do when we're also trying to maintain social distance. So it's still something that we're working out, frankly, because we don't want to put other people at risk either. It's been difficult. I mean, even getting into the truck every day. So right now, we are not permitted to go to the CBS lot. Now we're driving separately, and then we're really trying to limit the time that we have in the vans together. It's, it's been a challenge trying to coordinate all of that, you know, and still do the job that we need to do. By definition, you're being exposed every day to the ways that this pandemic affects people's lives, the real ways. Are there moments and stories that you've covered that have made a particular impression on you and driven home just how big of a deal this is? There have been. I mean, twice now I've had to work on a Sunday where we've kind of um, highlighted the ways that churches in particular have had to adapt during this time. And they've gone to online services and TV services to continue reaching the faithful. So I was in a church in Glendale and an older couple came up to the church that I guess they had not realized that there would not be in-person services. And they were just so upset that they could not get into the church and could not attend services because they had a very personal and particular cause that they were turning to their faith for. And to see how heartbroken they were and just how disappointed they were that they were not going to be able to join in fellowship and to feel the comfort of that church around them at the time when they needed it most. I think to me really struck me in how this was affecting people in so many different ways. And, you know, I mean, it broke my heart too, because I could just see that the things that people do that they rely on we're just not going to be for that there for them in the same way. And it was really, um, I mean, it was really sad for me to, to, to witness that. Was there a moment when you 
were covering a story perhaps, or even just in your day-to-day life, when all of a sudden you thought to yourself, wait a second, this is different. This is different than other viruses or outbreaks that I've covered. Well, I think the thing for me, you know, I covered politics for many years on the East Coast. I had a political talk show. So I've been around politicians a lot. And I know they always have talking points, is what I'll say. There have been very few times when I've been around politicians who I've really seen rattled. And I could, you know, you can see that look in their eyes. The two times prior to this that I felt that were um, when I was covering 9-11, when I was covering the Sandy Hook shooting, and then again, when I've been covering this. You can sense in the way that they're speaking and in the way that they look that they're rattled. Um, which is a perfectly human emotion. But I think that's when I first started to know, to think to myself, okay, this is beyond anything that, that, that we've had before. So that's a, a really awful trifecta of stories you just mentioned, 9-11, Sandy Hook, and coronavirus. Yeah. How does covering those types of things compare? And does, does w- covering one prepare you better for the next? Or are these just totally different animals each time? That's a good question. I wish that it did. I wish that I could say that it did prepare me for the next, but it just doesn't seem to be. And um, the older that I get and the more that I cover them, the more they affect me. I've mentioned to people, you know, all the networks that I've worked with have been great in terms of offering assistance to reporters afterwards um, or even during uh, coverage to make sure that your mental health is is okay and that you have someone to talk to. And, you know, probably like a lot of people, I have not taken advantage of it. And I certainly can tell at times that I should have. Unless I'm covering a story about 9-11, I, I can't even, I can't watch any coverage of it. I can barely read an article about it. I just get so uh, upset about it. And um, same with the the Sandy Hook shooting. I mean, I can't even, I cannot go there at all unless I'm at work and I'm doing a story specifically about it where I think I kind of have like a distance emotionally. Um, You know, and I think that I'll probably sense that with this after, but now that I'm in the thick of it, I'm just kind of doing it. I'm just kind of going, 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 doing it. There might be a point afterwards where I kind of sense, you know, all the people that I've talked to, all the people that have told me the ways that it's affected them. Um, I think that will all come back to me and, and, you know, I'll have to process that afterwards. One of the interesting things I think about being a reporter on a story like this is that one of the pieces of advice that mental health providers often give is to take a break from the news, right? People can watch the news 24 hours a day and they can get obsessed with this and it can take them down a rabbit hole and it can really affect your mental health. Well, that's not as much of an option for you because you have to be paying attention all the time and you are reporting the news and you you are immersed in this all the time. What can you do and what do you try to do to take care of yourself and take care of your own mental health as you go through something like this? I mean, I try to do exactly that. I mean, there does get to a point where I just say, even to my husband, I say, okay, enough. Okay, we got to turn off all of the news coverage that we're watching on TV. I have to stop looking 
at Twitter and, you know, all the other social media about this. I mean, there just comes to a point where you like literally have to say, we're going to step away from TV and the computer and we're going to just hang out. We're going to play cards. We're going to fix dinner. We're just going to have a conversation. We're just not going to, we're going to avoid all COVID-19 conversation for the next couple of hours just so that we get a break from it. Um, and that's what I try to do. I just, you know, I try to call friends or family and it's difficult, but I try to talk about things not related to this outbreak, um, just so that it does not consume me as much as it could, because you're right, you know, I'm tr especially because we don't have um, as much access to, you know, my coworkers being at the station and being at the lot, you know, exchanging ideas, because we're kind of on our own, I feel extra pressure to make sure that I'm up on everything. So I'm constantly, constantly reading and reading articles and watching every press conference that's streaming and, and watching on TV, just to make sure that I'm up to date. And, um, you know, I, it can be overwhelming at times. So I think for me, I just try to literally just step away from it all and just do anything else. One of the things that people like about being a reporter is that you get to meet people and you get to learn these stories and you get to tell stories but these stories are tough to tell and so you're dealing with the stress of that and you're dealing with the same stress that all of us are dealing with as well right so my general concern about my health and the health of my family and the health of my friends and where is this going mm -hmm. you have all of that too and you have all of these other stories swirling around in your head that you are actively covering. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? It's difficult. I mean, I think even today, I was having conversations with some of my coworkers about, so now, right, there's this, this new debate about what are we really all supposed to be wearing masks at all times? Or are we not supposed to be? Because when we go out, you know, I'm out and about exposing myself every day that I go out to work. Meanwhile, my husband is here. He's been quarantined or, you know, isolating for the past, um, since the, since March 10th. So my thoughts every day are, should I wear a mask now? Should I not wear a mask now? The person I'm talking to is not wearing a mask or they are wearing a mask. Does that indicate that they're being, that they are already sick or they already feeling sick? You know, just trying to balance all of our personal health concerns with, uh, still trying to get out to do the job is, is, is difficult. And it's always in the back of my mind of what am I bringing home? What am I going to expose, you know, my husband to? It's a conversation that all of us are having. How much more do we work? I mean, some people are actually considering like, should I cut back on the number of days that I'm working? Or should I work at all? You know, particularly people who have um, children or, or people in their homes who have underlying conditions. It's difficult. It's difficult. Are there elements of this story that you think are not getting enough attention? I, I can't say that I do. I mean, I think that we just need to keep the pressure up, though, on on uh, the needs of the states and the needs of hospitals. You know, I mean, people might be tired of hearing it, but um, I think that we just need to keep that up to, to let people know what exactly are the real needs and concerns of the people who are on the front lines, um, because that's what's going to save us. That's what's going to save our lives. Even though it's received a lot of attention, maybe something that falls into that category is people just don't understand that personal protective equipment is the front line of this and that respirators mean life or death. You know, that the access to this equipment is not theoretical, that it's actual. 
and and I know you've been saying that, and there have been reports on that, but it's hard for people to really understand that, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that even I've learned throughout this is, um, I guess I was not aware of how many respirators and how much of this kind of equipment each hospital has. I mean, it never occurred to me a certain hospital only might have X number of respirators. I mean, obviously, we've never had the demand that we have at this at this moment, but it was pretty shocking to me to know how limited they actually are in LA County. You know, I mean, this is a major metropolitan area. And, um, you know, it's been really eye opening to see as this area has really struggled to obtain the equipment that they know that they need. I mean, I think we all need to think about that in the future. By all accounts, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, and that we're by many measures still at the beginning or hopefully hopefully, maybe a late beginning. What do you say to people who may have social distancing fatigue already? And how do you avoid pushing them over the edge, but still helping them understand the gravity and the, and the significance of what we're trying to do here? You have to think about people in your own lives. I mean, maybe it seems distant if you don't know someone or if you're not related to someone who has uh, tested positive. But I mean, you have to look at the numbers and we have to, I think once we get firmer numbers, for example, here in LA about that show how so physical distancing has been effective. And maybe then they will think twice about well, I'm just going to meet my neighbor and we're going to walk our dogs together. Or I'm just going to pop over there and have, you know, a cup of coffee with them at the kitchen table. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would hate to think that you would have to be personally affected by it before you would take this as seriously as you need to. But, you know, I think we just need to keep putting the message out there that that distancing is going to save lives and it might save your own life. And finally, I like to look forward and maybe have a, a vision of hope to come out of all of this. What is your hope for what a post-COVID world looks like and how this will end up? I mean, this has been said so many times, but I think I hope that we all understand that we can't take things for granted. I mean, certainly, first and foremost, our health. I hope that everyone makes a recommitment to being healthy in their lives, as healthy as they can be you know, physically and emotionally. I hope people reconnect. Maybe this quarantine has given people pause to think about loved ones or friends who they've become estranged from. I hope maybe they reconnect and realize that in our lives, that what matters most is each other and the relationships that we have and, um, you know, not things that we possess and, you know, all of the beautiful things that it's nice to have are just not important in the end, that in the end, it's going to be the people that you have in your life that you're quarantined with and the people that you can't see when you're quarantined. Well, Lori, I am thankful for you and for the work that you're doing, for your friendship over all these years, and for you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you, Brian, for giving me an opportunity. 
Voices of COVID-19 is an attempt to document the thoughts and feelings of people who are perhaps outside the limelight to get personal reflections on how a pandemic impacts all of our lives. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us for our next episode, where we'll hear an international perspective from a resident in Paris who is dealing with social distancing and lockdowns, and who has also seen this issue from a different perspective as a caregiver for her husband who was diagnosed with COVID-19. If you know of someone who might make a good guest on this podcast, please send them to me at brian at truevoicecommunications.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay separate. And we'll get through this together. Thank you.